Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. Well, good morning once again, and uh, I'm pretty excited. I got several different announcements, and also, too, a couple folks we need to sing happy birthday to. And so uh, I want to make the announcement. First of all, there's no evening assembly, as I, I shared before. Uh, we've been going back out to the building for evening assembly, and and uh, so we're going to do the pit preacher's training starting next uh, Sunday evening, Lord willing. We'll have uh, no rain, or excuse me, lots of rain, no smoke. That's what we want. Uh, College-age study will be uh, starting again, once again, this uh, coming Monday evening, uh, 5.45 to 7.30. Uh, Wednesday evening, in light of the, the potential rain and the smoke, we're going to shift our barbecue from Wednesday to Sunday evening. And so if you want to make a note, uh, those who are listening from the uh, family, from the fellowship, those who are here, uh, Sunday evening, 5 o'clock here at the Compton Place, we're going to have a big old barbecue. Uh, please RSVP. So if you're coming back from Lima for dinner, please RSVP. We'd love to have you. That'd be great. You know, you'll probably be in Arizona about that time. But so, uh, but RSVP for dinner, uh, 5 o'clock. We'll We'll uh, be doing the roasting then, and then, of course, after dinner, we'll have uh, evening assembly. So this coming Thursday would be like, an, uh, or excuse me, Wednesday, uh, will be like a normal Wednesday evening. We'll be meeting over at the Parks Place at uh, 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock on Wednesday? That's how we normally do it. Okay. Um, Thursday evening, ladies' study, 7 o'clock at the Park Place. All right, this Thursday. Paint day's coming up. Uh uh, Jeff uh, Sharon has been doing a great job. Some people have already stepped up to ask to help Jeff uh, to work on the building painting. And so we have a, a man lift uh, coming in on Friday morning. So Friday the 18th this week, uh, Saturday, and then a Sunday after the assembly. Uh, we're going to be doing the painting and getting that west and south side of the building painted up for the winter. So if you can help out, please talk with Jeff Sharon. That would be great. Uh, family photos that were scheduled for today uh, are not happening. And so if you're all excited about family photos and dressed up in your, your very nice outfit, well, I'm sorry to tell you that we're not doing family photos today. Uh, Elijah Bristol Park is probably extremely smoky, so we're not going to be doing that today. Jamie asked that uh, we'd send out an email, but also to announce that uh, next Sunday after assembly, if uh, you would like pictures taken, folks are going to be driving down to Elijah Bristol Park after uh, the morning assembly. And uh, Jamie's excited about doing that for us, so that'll be great. Uh, let's see, got the barbecue on Sunday night set. Uh, birthdays. Are there any other announcements before we sing happy birthday? Happy birthday. All right, I hope Athea is listening. Athea, three years old today, if I understood, and and wrote it down correctly. And uh, Mindy Parks, happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you, if you are uh, listening. And also uh, Jeffy, Jeffy D, Jeffy. I know you're not three. This, uh, in fact, we missed your birthday 
because it was yesterday. So, Jeffy, I hope you're having a wonderful birthday, second day on Sunday, Jeffy. You're so cute. Those little pictures of you running around in your diapers, it's great. So, Jeffy, <laughs> I just hope you have a wonderful birthday today, or yesterday, and it's carrying over in today. So, let's sing to Athea. Happy birthday, Athea. Are you waving? I can't see you. Hope you're waving. And Jeffy, I'm waving at you too. So let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Woo! All right, Jeffy, I'm sorry. Okay. Moving into our moving into our study this morning. Grab your Bibles. And, uh, of course, we're going to be turning to Psalms chapter 16. If you have it memorized, awesome. And if not, go ahead and please turn to Psalm 16. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. And I think we all know this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ now. And uh, also, too, I think probably by this time, you've heard it more than once. Speaking about the Christian. Because in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says that we have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places right now. And so we are seated with him in glory at his right hand. And so this verse is for us. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures. As you remember, in your right hand is speaking about seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And it says, there are pleasures forever. And so it's been, it's been a while, but this is the third and final lesson for the first pleasure forever. And the kind of nice thing is, is to this one being first is so important. Look at the title of the lesson this morning. If you have your lesson plan, it says, uh, Power in His Presence, Dwelling in Perfect Unity Through His Glory. Dwelling in Perfect Unity Through His God's glory. You know, the scripture teaches not only have we been raised up and seated with him, but it says we're seated with him in glory. And uh, how awesome that is to realize. And then, of course, the spirit of glory has indwelled us. And so not only are we, are we seated with him, but he has placed himself in our bodies. And so we have glory uh, in heaven and glory with him. Look at the next verse there that you have in your lessons. Uh, Psalms 133. This is the psalm that I have taken the first pleasure forever from. And um, I, of course, was looking at the word pleasure. And the word here in Psalms 133, the word pleasant is actually the exact same word as pleasure. So let's read this once again. Psalms 133 and, and all three verses. Behold how good and how pleasurable it is. For brothers to dwell together in unity. And what a beautiful statement. But then he goes on. It is like dwelling together in unity with brothers is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Again, that's a, a prophecy of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 3. It is like this. these pleasures forever in the unity with the brethren is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded blessing, the life forever. 
And of course, that's another prophecy about the Holy Spirit and about the giftedness of the Holy Spirit granted to each individual. Because notice it says here, it says, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Zion is the church. The mountains are those who are empowered. And every Christian filled with the Holy Spirit is empowered. And so this is a prophecy about the church and about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and his giftedness in our lives. And so as we think about an introduction, I always like to think of questions and answers. And so this morning, the, the first pleasure forever is obviously dwelling and serving together in Christ Jesus in perfect unity. We saw that last week, and we're going to quickly review last week in point number one. And some of you might be saying, why didn't we do it quickly last week instead of for all that time? Well, we're just going to review quickly, hit the highlights, and then we're going to move on to a little bit deeper study on the unity that we enjoy together. But here's the first question. What does God use to unite us together as one? Well, last week we learned his glory. Also, too, if you were to read John chapter 17 in its wholeness, the entire chapter 17 is actually a prayer that Jesus prayed at the Last Supper table. And right after he got done with that prayer, it says in the scriptures that they went to the, the mount where, of course, he was taken into custody. And so it's interesting to realize he's actually praying not only to his father, but he's also praying for the apostles. And we took a little section out that we're going to review today that he was actually praying for you and me, that we would be united as one in perfect unity through his glory. And so how important it is to understand glory because glory is what brings about our perfect unity. And so that first question, what does God use to unite us together as one? Well, the answer is God's glory. There's a second question this morning, but what does this glory look like? Well, that's a great question. We're going to look more, more carefully at the answer to that one. It's his magnificent character as manifest in him, as manifest in and through us. And the last question is, how can I possess and manifest this glory of Christ to enjoy the pleasures forever with my brothers and sisters in Christ as we serve together in unity? How can I enjoy those pleasures? Well, I'll share with you in our last uh, point. So let's look at point number one this morning. And we're going to go very, very quickly through John chapter 17 and verse uh, 20 through 24. And as we go through that, it's just a quick review. And I'm only going to give you a one sentence um, uh, statement uh, in regards to uh, review. And so the prayer, the high priestly prayer, it says in John, Gospel of John, chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I do not ask on behalf of the apostles only, but for those who believe in me through their word. Actually, he says, I am praying for all Christians for all times. Verse 20, verse 21, that they, the Christians, may all be one, united together, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe 
that you sent me. So verse 21 is actually saying, I'm praying that all the Christians would be one, united together in perfect harmony, as you, Father, and I are one. But look at verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. God granted Jesus glory, and Jesus said, I have given that glory to these Christians. Christians have been given glory. But reading on it, it, it makes a very important statement. Why? I and them, and you and me, that they, the Christians, may be perfected in unity. God gave us his glory through his Holy Spirit that we would be perfected in unity. God wants us to have perfect unity in our lives and service together with him. And so when, when uh, uh, Tanya and I work together, we should have great joy in working together and serving Jesus Christ. When Lars and I work together, we should find great joy uh, in working together. Many of you have seen the, the, um, the movie Band of Brothers. You know why they were so close? Inseparably close? Because they worked together, serving together for the cause of freedom. Isn't that what the Christian is supposed to do as well? Work together by the power of Christ to set the captives free. Amen? That's a beautiful picture. And so that unity is there. But look at the last verse there, verse 24. He prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, meaning all Christians, be with me where I am. Jesus is about ready to be ascended into heaven. To be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory. See, Jesus was praying that we would be able to see his glory, that we might be glorified and manifest his glory to others. It says, the glory which you gave to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know, honestly, this passage of scripture is so powerful because it's basically saying that you and I are supposed to manifest the glory of Christ because he's given us his glory. And as we see what he has given us, then we know the gifts we have and the gifts then we have to offer. But if you don't know you have a gift, how can you give it? And so this is a beautiful passage of scripture if you take the time to, di to dissect it. He wants us to see his glory. Now the next question from the introduction is, but what does this glory look like? That's a great question. Where do I see your glory? Turn with me as we look at point number two, defining the glory of God in us. It says here, God's glory, his presence within us produces sweet unity. The word sweet there, by the way, uh, I'm using from the Hebrew, that word sweet is also a word used for pleasurable. I don't know if you've ever eaten euphoria chocolate, but it is so pleasurable because it's so perfectly sweet. Now, for those of you who've never been to Eugene and never enjoyed euphoria chocolate, I'm sorry. You'll just have to come and visit us then. And so, so the word sweet used in the Hebrew is the same word oftentimes as the word pleasurable. And so notice in your notes, I'm using that as a reference point. His presence within us produces sweet, pleasurable unity. 
So look at Exodus chapter 33. And we've seen this so many times before. I just want to point out a few things that are so important for us to remember. This is Moses on the mountain with God. And Moses, beginning in, in chapter 30 and verse 12, asks a prayer request, actually two prayer requests of God. Notice in your notes, I have a place for the two prayer requests. And so in this first section in Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23, we're going to look at those two prayer requests. And then we're going to see what God's glory looks like. Okay, here we go. Beginning in verse 12, Exodus 33 and verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, or more importantly, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you. Here's his first prayer request. I pray you, if you have found favor, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. That's a beautiful prayer request. Make me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may live a life pleasing to you. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Lord, help me to know your ways, that I may know who you are, that I may please you and how I serve you. That's a beautiful prayer request. And reading on, notice in verse 14. And he said, the Lord God said to Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we and I and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? That's a beautiful statement. He said, how are people going to know that we are your people if you don't go with us, if you're not in our, in our presence? Here's the beauty of it, brethren. As Christians, Jesus is always in our presence, for he's always in us. His glory is available to us. Look at the second prayer request. The second prayer request there, verse 17, uh, uh, and 18. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, second prayer request, show me your glory. And he said, God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. But he said, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about that while my glory passes by, verse 22, and it will come about that when my glory passes by, remember the word passes by here now, passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back. My face you shall not see. I think in the King James it says, you shall see the trailing edge of my glory. But now let's jump down into chapter 34 where the glory of the Lord actually passes by. Notice what is seen 
rather heard as the Lord passes by. Look at verse 6. Well, verse 5 and 6 and 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by. Now let's listen and let's watch and see what happens when the Lord passes by. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth or faithfulness, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. You see here the two prayer requests. Make me know your ways is the first one, and the second one is show me your glory, Lord, and the Lord shows him his glory. Now, how did the Lord define his glory? We hear it. We don't see it. What does compassion look like? That's a great question, isn't it? We're going to actually look at that today. But notice he says compassion is the first facet of his glory. The second one is his graciousness. The third one is his being slow to anger, meaning he's long-suffering with his people. He's patient. Look at the next one in that list there in verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34. Abounding in loving kindness. Loving kindness. Kindness is being helpful. By the way, the outpouring of loving kindness by our community upon those who lost everything and, and fighting the fire, the outpouring of loving kindness is absolutely amazing. And notice, loving kindness is practical. It's useful. It's needful. And that is God always seeing our need and looking to provide for our need. Shouldn't God, through us, be those people? You see, and then reading on, the next one is uh, uh, truth or faithfulness, being faithful, uh, loving kindness for thousands, forgiving. This one there is he is just. Everybody's going to get what they deserve. And so if you've lived faithfully for him, as, as Moses said, show me, show me thy glory, teach me thy ways so that I can be pleasing to you. What a beautiful two prayer requests. Could we not say that prayer request? Lord, help, teach me your ways, Lord. And then look into the scriptures to see where he would teach you his ways. And then show me your glory, Lord, so that I can live like your son, Jesus Christ. Those are great prayer requests. And then we see the actual, uh, what it looks like. But let's look at Colossians 3. Let's go to the New Testament equivalent of this passage in regards to the character quality of God's glory. Now, I know these are the character uh, qualities of God's glory for a couple reasons. Let's read it, and then I will, I will give you a little homework assignment uh, if you want to do a little research on your own. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Notice what it says here. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. He's talking about Christians. Holy means to be sanctified, set apart for God's precious purpose. Beloved means the one whom I love. We are the focus of God's love, his children. So, as those who have been chosen 
uh, of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of. Put on a heart of. That's an important statement. Compassion. Notice that's the very first that's the very first character quality of glory is found back in the Old Testament in chapter 34 and verse 6, right? And so compassion and, and notice kindness, loving kindness, remember, was one of the big facets of his glory. Uh, humility, gentleness, patience. Oh, there's one. Slow to anger. That's what? Being patient. Reading on, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. That was in that list as well. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And look at verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Notice we're told to put these things on in our lives. Put on compassion, because compassion is a character quality of Christ. Put on compassion. And then and then I'm going to have you take a look really quickly. Just jump over to chapter... Um, 3 and verse 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10. We have put on the new self. You know, the new self is Christ, as we're going to learn here in just a moment. Is Christ loving? Is Christ patient? Is Christ compassionate? Is Christ faithful? Is Christ humble? What's the answer to all those? Yes. And where does Christ dwell right now? At the right hand of God? Absolutely. Where are you seated right now? At the right hand of God. But doesn't the scripture say that when a person becomes a Christian, Christ comes and indwells them? And so the fullness of God's glory indwells us, as the scripture says in 1 Peter. The spirit of glory indwells us. And therefore, we have the fullness of his glory inside. So it's so important for us to recognize that in defining glory, we now know what it looks like. It's not just a light that blinds us, his glory. It's actually specific character qualities, his magnificent character quality that we now possess as Christians. But how is the world going to know that Jesus was God's son? How is the world going to know that God loves them? Because the world's going to see God's love through his body, the body of Christ, which is what? church so all these facets of glory have been given to us so the church can work together as one unit one team one family all focused on the same goal and that is to glorify god in our bodies and to seek and save the lost as it says plucking them out of the fire and each person doing their own part in helping in that great work well let's take a look at the last point then the last point point number three we possess Christ's glory and we are called to manifest or show Christ's glory. So look at point number three in your lesson plans. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And again, I'm going to ask you to do a little study on your own. And I'll give you a few pointers that you could you know, jot down and see if I'm teaching the truth here. But look at, at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Look at verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Let me encourage you to do a little bit of study what it means to turn to the Lord. If you go back to Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, right? you might want to write that down. We're not going to do it right now. 
But if you go back to Acts chapter 19, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it's the second sermon preached by Peter. And in that second sermon, he, he almost verbatim mirror images his first sermon. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says in Acts 2.38. But in Acts 3, verse 19, he talks about, Turn to the Lord so that your sins will be wiped away. Acts 2.38 says, Be baptized to have your sins forgiven, washed away. Huh? Turning to the Lord then must have to do with immersion. Now if you go back and you look at all the terminology turned to the Lord in the book of Acts in the history book, guess what you're going to find? And this is your homework assignment. Check it out. Turning to the Lord is whenever they were baptized. Whenever they were immersed into Christ. And they were immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins to receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17 now. Verse 17 in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Again, in verse 17. Now that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty or freedom. I don't know about you, but when I've been when I'm given freedom to really do the job that God has called me to do, man, I just go after it. Now Lars knows that when I was teaching at Willamette High School, uh, that the kind of the administration kind of left me alone. I'd close the door and I would do some wild and crazy stuff, and and uh, some kids enjoyed it, some others didn't. But as you recall, uh, but the reality is, is I was free to do what I knew that needed to be done to teach these young people about economics and marketing and business when i had the freedom i really went after it well you know when someone's bound by their sins they're not free to serve the lord they have guilt and shame but when your sins are washed away and you're given the holy spirit now you have the power to serve him and please him in every respect so verse 17 is actually talking about receiving the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, because where the Lord is, there is freedom. And so you might want to write down there in your notes, transformed. You have the power to be transformed. Look at verse 18 now. Verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face, we all having our sins forgiven, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We can behold, we can see the glory of the Lord in a mirror. I would invite you to read James chapter 1, verses 20 down through 26. The mirror is the perfect law of liberty. The mirror is the perfect law of liberty, the complete law that gives freedom. The Old Testament never gave freedom. It bound everybody up. But there is the New Testament, the royal law, the law of the king. The new creation standard, as Galatians 6 and verse 15 and 16 says. The new creation standard. Those who will walk by this standard, peace and mercy be upon them in the Israel of God. The new law is not a law at all. It's actually the law of love. Because the new creation standard in Galatians 5, 6 says, Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything, but a new creation Yes, but it says the new creation is faith working through love. 
powerful. And so we need to recognize and understand that this is actually talking about someone being immersed into Christ, having their sins forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now they have the power to be transformed from glory to glory. The very same character image, character of Christ Jesus. So when people see you, they see Christ's love. When they hear you, they hear the gentleness of Christ. When they see your service, they see the humility of Christ. When they see your boldness, they see the courage of Christ. Because Christ is in you. That's the whole point of being a Christian, not going to a church building somewhere. It's about living the great and powerful life of Christ so that those around you are moved to want to know and they ask you regarding the hope that is within you. And then you stand and you can share why your life is different. Why you can have joy in times when no one else is joyful. Why you can love the intolerable. It's because Christ is in you. Well, let's look at the last part here. This last part I have down here is in Colossians in chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 1 through 3 to begin with. And then we're going to jump down to uh, verse 9, 10, and 11. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. Notice it gives us a statement of what we need to do if we've been raised up out of the water grave of immersion and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. In other words, just because somebody gets baptized doesn't mean they were, they were raised up with Christ. I know a lot of people have been baptized, but they had no clue what they were doing. But if you know that you were in obedience, humbly obeying the gospel so that you were being crucified with Christ in the waters of immersion, that you were being buried with Christ in the waters of immersion, and that you were being raised up to walk in the newness of life because the Spirit indwelled you at that point in time, seated with Him in the heavenly places, now you have power to go forth. And so reading on, it says here, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because that's where you are spiritually. Reading next verse, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You know, people looking at Facebook, wow, you can get depressed really fast. You don't have to go very far to realize that this world is a stinking mess. And boy, if you dwell there, oh no, oh, oh, look, oh, Kurt, look, ah, they're coming for us. We're all going to freak out and run and hide. But what if we look into the scripture and realize that just as Christ, as, as Ryan said, just as Christ powered through the most difficult time in his life, deeply concerned with compassion about other souls, that's who we are. So put the cell phones down and pick up the Bible and read who we are in Christ Jesus. We're the folks in this community that need to be going out, praying every day, helping where we can help. So reading on, it says there in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is Christ now. Now look at verse 9, 10, and 11. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter 3, but look at 9, 10, and 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. 
Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. Hey, do you think we could have unity in the body if we were lying to one another? What kind of disunity would lying cause? There would be no unity. There would be no joy. It would not be pleasurable to serve with a bunch of liars. So God says, look, don't lie to one another anymore because now you are a man or a woman of truth. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you become a Christ one, the old man's crucified, the new man is Christ in you. Who are you? You are a man of, you are a woman of what? Truth. So notice it says here, it says, lay aside the old self with his evil practices. So the first step in transformation is to identify the, the, the wrong things that you've been doing and the lust that's in your heart that causes you to do those wrong things. I would encourage you to look at James chapter 1 and read verses 13, 14, and 15. It's talk, talking about what I call the sin cycle. Temptation comes, and that temptation carries you away and entices you by your lusts. The lusts are on the inside, temptations are on the outside. And so if you rid yourself of all those lusts, then the temp we know that temptations will never stop. Would you stop tempting me? <laughs> That's a stupid thing to ask someone to do. They'll go, really? Watch me now. You know, it's going to get worse. The devil's not going to stop tempting. So we need to go inside and remove the lust out of our heart. I've been doing a, a deep study on the sin cycle, and I'm writing it up, and I'm going to add it to my elementary teachings packet so that people know where they can actually stop the source of the sin. Because in that passage in James 1, it talks about the lust is drawn out by the temptation which gives birth to sin. Where do we need to work? To order to stop our sinning, we need to root the lust out of our hearts. Where did Jesus say all the evil, awful things in this world come from? It comes from within, from the heart, right? And so in that lesson, we're going to talk about how do you root that out? So the first step in the repentance process, the change, the, the, the change process, the transformation process, is to root the lust out of your heart. But you have to identify what problems you have. I used to have a problem with drinking alcohol. I don't drink alcohol at all anymore. I don't have a problem with it. I don't even think about it. I don't even desire it. I've been able to root that one out of my life. But before I was a Christian, that was there always. So I'd walk into Albertsons, and how did I always walk down the beer aisle? How did I always end up at the place where the, you know, the Miller Low Life was? Okay. How, why? Because there was lust in my heart. Oh, I'm in Albertsons. Oh, I remember which aisle I'm supposed to go down. It's like subconscious, right? you got to root that garbage out. But you got to identify that you have a problem there. So that's the first step. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is actually the third step. Okay, Verse 10 says, And put on the new self. Put on the new self. Well, who's the new self? The old self is you. The new self is Christ. We're supposed to put Christ on. You can go to verse 12. So, as those who are beloved of God, holy and blameless, put on a heart of compassion, right? That's what it says. 
Well, here's what's important there. How do you get to that point where you can actually put that on? There's a second step. You know what the second step is? It's there in verse 10 and verse 11. Now, I'm going to read, if you're reading with along with me in your uh, Bibles at home, I'm going to read it a little bit differently. If you have italicized words in your Bible, those italicized words aren't supposed to be there. I'm reading from the New American Standard. So I'm just going to read it without the italicized words. So you want to listen very carefully. And I'm going to add a word. You're saying, you can't add to the scriptures. If the scriptures are speaking of that, you can. Watch what I'm going to do. Listen very carefully. Reading from the New American Standard, verse 10. And having put on the new self, who, the new man, the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, a correct knowledge, according to a standard, according to the image of the one, capital one, who created him. Who created you new? Christ, right? We're his workmanship. Go back to Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 10. You and I are the workmanship of Christ Jesus. He's the one that created us new. Look at that passage of scripture. We are created. We were his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created new for the good works that he called us to do. And so in this passage, when he's talking about here, according to the image of the one who created him, it should read this way. And I put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Christ who created you, an image in which there is no Greek and Jew an image in which there is no circumcised and uncircumcised, an image in which there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, an image in which there is no Democrat or Republican, and an image in which there is no American or no Canadian or no Russian. We are all one in Christ. That's what he's saying there. The image is Christ. We need to go to the scriptures to get the image of Christ. Now, that's our last passage of scripture this morning. Let's look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How many of you know the Bible actually says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? You know that scripture, don't you? That's talking to Christians, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy said before him, he spoke to the all of those people who were crucifying. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he talked to his mom and his friend John. He talked with the, with the sinner that was cursing him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Powerful images of Christ and his compassion. Well, let's look at the last verse here this morning. Luke chapter 10. Let's take a look at what does compassion the glory of God, one of the facets of the glory of Christ, what does that actually look like? And, and I hope you don't mind. I want to get a running start on this one. Jesus is having a little discussion with a bunch of uh, guys that uh, really don't have a very uh, good heart or a, or a, a motivation uh, to do us right. So uh, Luke uh, chapter 10 and verse 30, verse 30. Um, let's pick it up in verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? 
And he, the lawyer, said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Hmm, now who is my neighbor? In other words, he wants to pick and choose. He just doesn't want to love everybody. He wants to pick and choose. So tell me who my neighbor is, and, and then uh, I'll just decide if I want to do this or not. That's pretty sick, isn't it? So what does Jesus do? He gives them an illustration. By the way, the Good Samaritan, put your name there. You know why you can put your name there? Because the Good Samaritan in this passage is Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. You're saying, no, Jesus was a Jew. But look at how this Samaritan lives. Okay? This is how we are to live. Here we go. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a.k.a. He was worshiping in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man, and he was coming home from worshiping God in the temple. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Reading on. And by chance, a priest a Jewish holy man of God. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, also a great man of God, a Jewish man also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey, now remember, Samaritans and Jews have nothing in common, and they hated each other back then. Jesus deliberately picks the Samaritan as his example. So the lawyer will know, oh, it's not Democrat or Republican. It's not American or Russian. It's Christ. Christ is the image here. Reading on, it says here, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, the man that was beaten and left half dead. And when he saw him, when the Samaritan, when Jesus, when you or I saw this man in need, he felt compassion. We should feel compassion because God through Jesus Christ feels compassion and came to him. In other words, we go out of our way now to help. Compassion is active and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Huh, that's a hard one to answer. Well, of course it was the Samaritan. Now notice the guy isn't willing to even utter the word Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy by the way, mercy and compassion are equivalent here. Okay. He wouldn't even utter the name Samaritan. Oh, the Samaritan? Oh, no, I'm not going to use that one. That would expose me for who I am. He says, oh, uh, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So when that quote-unquote lawyer, doctor of the law, saw a Samaritan in the ditch, how do you suppose this... <clears throat> was going to go over for him. Oh, no. What about you and I? 
oh, that person is doing a sin that I don't agree with. I'm not going to help them. Really? Really? What did Jesus do with the woman who had been married five times, divorced five times, and was living with a guy? What did Jesus do? Oh, I'm not talking with her. She's a Samaritan, and she's really messed up. Is that what Jesus did? Jesus did not do that, did he? Jesus invested time and energy to help her come to an understanding of God's love for her. And she was so excited that she met the Christ. She went and shared with everybody else. And the whole community came to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you see that this passage of Scripture, Compassion, has three very important elements that you and I need to embrace. First of all, we need to be intentionally looking for needs in people's lives. You know, I know people that look for needs in people's lives and they go, oh, I don't want to do that. That's going to take a lot of time and energy. And I don't want to do that because I got things coming up and I don't want to do that. Really? Do you think this, this Samaritan had things to do? Just like the priest had things to do? Just like the, the, the scribe or the Levite had things to do? Well, sure, of course. But if you see a need, the next step for compassion is, is you need to feel or uh, feel the need. It says compassion. The word compassion there actually means to be empathetic, not sympathetic. Empathetic is different. Empathetic is you feel the need so much so that you experience the pain. That motivates you to the third step of compassion, doing something, doing something. And so you know what compassion looks like? Always looking out for others, whether they're a Christian or not. Yes, we're supposed to show you know, favoritism to those who are in Christ, of course, that's family, but it's for everybody. Because the Samaritan and the Jew were far apart, and Jesus used that example for a reason. So notice, we see the need, we feel the need, we see the pain, and, the, and then we have to do something about it if we're truly going to be compassionate like Christ. Each one of us doing our little part in our circle of influence will powerfully expand the kingdom of God as we show compassion. But you know, there's more than compassion, isn't there? There's humility. There's kindness. There's gentleness. There's mercy. There's self-control. There's forgiveness. There's great courage. All of those things, brethren, are a part of the glory of God. And we have all of those in us in full measure already. So let me encourage you in closing. If you want to have the greatest of pleasures, then you see someone's need and you invest yourself. And John, I know you're watching today and uh, I know John's become uh, a dear brother in Christ, but I have such joy when I spend time with John West. And again, I am not a rocket scientist. I don't know very much about much of anything, but I do know that compassion has three parts. And as you've heard before, I just want to help you know it's easy it's easy to love like Jesus and be compassionate. I just offered to help John rake his leaves. And he ended up becoming a brother in Christ. He wouldn't even let me rake his leaves, right, John? He wouldn't let me rake your leaves. But he did come and visit us down at the church building. He did want to spend time 
He learned about the Lord. He's become a brother. And you know what? I've told John this. John reminds me of my dad in a lot of ways. He's a quiet man. He's a solid man. He's a good man. I find great pleasure in spending time with John. And John, although he's not physically able to do a lot, you know what? He's in the assembly consistently. He's dying to get wood cut for the church. There's a lot of young bucks. I don't want to go cut wood. That's hard work. You're like, yeah, it is hard work. Okay. So John wants to go cut wood for the church. Pretty amazing stuff. You see, I find great pleasure in that and great joy in that. You know what? When we have compassion like Christ, you might gain a brother or sister in Christ. That is a huge blessing to you. But if we ignore those things, we may miss the huge pleasure of enjoying that time together, being blessed and being a blessing. You know, some of you now know, or many of you probably know, that are listening, you know Davey and Sue Wilson, what special people they are. And we uh, had the opportunity to host them in our home this, this weekend. So much joy. So much sarcasm. <laughs> uh, be forewarned, anybody, if Davey Wilson shows up at your house, watch out. <laughs> you know, there, there's pleasures forever, and I get to spend eternity with, with Davey pestering him. It's going to be great. It's awesome. You see, there is, there is, there's amazing joy when we understand who we are as Christians, as, as God's family, as God's children, choosing to be united, not by doctrine, you don't have to blame it, but rather by love, by compassion, by patience, by forgiveness. There's power in that. And that's really what God desires in his church. See? Not more programs, just more loving people. And so I pray that we would recognize that the first, I think one of the most important pleasures forever is that we get to enjoy eternity right now with each other as we work together to help other people learn about Jesus Christ as we love them together as we love each other. Let's pray. Holy God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to understand this first pleasure forever. It begins when we become a Christian, but we can grow in this pleasure of enjoying time together with the saints. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to realize as we embrace your glory, your compassion, your graciousness, your loving kindness, your forgiveness, your faithfulness, your mercy. When we embrace all of these amazing qualities of your Son, and we know that we possess them and we choose to put them on and practice them, Lord, it's amazing, the pleasure, the sweet, sweet pleasure of being united together as one. Help us, Father, to remember these things and help us to embrace them and live them, we ask in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much for showing up and we will hopefully see you uh, next Sunday morning. Okay, thank you. Thanks once again for listening. 
To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.